Undeceptions podcast. Small Wonders with Laurel Moffat. One morning a few months ago, I woke up to the call of a bird. This isn't unusual. I often hear birdsong in the morning, but this was different. I heard the distinct call of a kookaburra, and it was laughing. I live in the city, and so near me, it's usually minas in the morning, magpies around lunch, lorikeets in the afternoon, and the screech of bats overhead at dusk. But that morning stood out because it was the first time I'd heard a kookaburra in my neighborhood. I went outside to see it, but I couldn't. It was nowhere, an invisible bird. I realized if I was ever going to see it, I was going to have to keep an eye out. I was going to have to become a bird watcher, although in the singular, a watcher of just one bird. I've never thought that much about bird watching, but when I have, My mind's usually leapt straight to the gear you might need. Field guides, binoculars, and for some reason, vests with pockets seem important. A recent article in the online magazine Bloom and Birds suggests how a birdwatcher can, and I quote, go beyond binoculars and field guides and ramp up their game with the coolest new birdwatching gear and birding supplies, such as smart touch gloves for those cold days when you still need to use your phone, a harness for your camera or binoculars, a smart bird feeder so you can record birds as they eat a portable mosquito repeller, or a smartphone telephoto lens. You could spend a lot of money and time acquiring the best tools for birdwatching without ever laying eyes on a single bird. Isn't the point of birdwatching birds? More often than not, it seems, the topic of birdwatching is actually an invitation to other subjects relevant to the birdwatcher, such as well-being, attention, or mental health. Birdwatching isn't just about birds. It's also about those doing the watching. It's an activity that affects a person. It can take you places. (laughs) 
Some bird watchers travel long distances to see species of birds found only in far-off places. In counterpoint to this, the slow birding movement is all about looking for birds in your own neighborhood or yard. Maybe I'm a slow birder. Regardless of the locale and irrespective of the presence or lack of accessories, researchers have found that those who watch birds have improved mental health, restored attention spans, less anxiety, and a greater sense of well-being than they did before taking up the activity. And it is an active practice rather than a passive pleasure. It's an active way of seeing. In watching birds, there seems to be a lack of idleness. There's the setting down of pencil on paper and making lists. There are the spans of time spent listening for a call or studying markings. There's the searching through a field guide for a particular pattern of feather unique to a species. There's time spent sitting quietly at attention. These are the markers of a discipline, of some sort of training taking place. The kind of training that tends to change the person engaged in it. There was a definite uptick in birdwatching during the pandemic. Sales for birdwatching supplies rose by around 50% for many retailers in the first year of the pandemic, and there was also a rise in online searches for birds. In May 2019, there were 44,000 visits to the Wikipedia entry on Blue Jays. A year later, the first pandemic year, there were 85,000. The same jump was also seen in visits to the pages for the red-winged blackbird and for the chickadee. And while an impressive 750,000 people used the Audubon Bird app in 2019, one year later, that number had climbed to 1.2 million. And it's continued to climb since then. Some bird enthusiasts thought that the rise in birdwatching during the pandemic would be a blip. But the numbers don't seem to be dropping that quickly. The eBird team at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology in New York State organizes a 24-hour global birdwatching event every year. It's called the October Big Day. And in October of 2022, they had 34,670 people take part, the largest number of participants in the event's history. Perhaps watching birds is not going away that quickly after all. And it makes sense. Bird watching is surprisingly accessible. Birds are everywhere, in every habitat. They are equitable creatures, available to all. Whether you live in the country or the city, in a high-rise apartment or on some remote acreage. And even Bloom and Birds will tell you that you don't need any special gear to watch or listen to a bird. You don't need expensive gloves or feeders or smartphones. But you do need one thing. You need something much harder to come by. 
something more precious and costly. Time. And the willingness to sit and wait. And watch. And listen. If you're tempted to start watching birds, you'll find yourself in good company. There are some pretty famous bird watchers. President Jimmy Carter, the novelists Margaret Atwood and Jonathan Franzen, Paul McCartney. The theologian John Stott was a bird watcher. Even Jesus encouraged a bit of bird watching. In the most famous sermon ever given, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is a fancy way of saying a talk he gave outside one day on the side of a hill, he encourages his listeners to go birdwatching. He says this, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. When you're in the throes of worry, this can feel like an impossible task. Jesus tells us to take our eyes off of ourselves and the worries that can consume us, and instead do something very, very simple. Look at a bird, any bird. The one right in front of you is just fine. Consider it, think about it, see how it lives, look, really see, take your time. Birds are always hungry. In order to stay light enough to fly, a bird stays very close to starvation. And yet, it doesn't worry. It eats. It flies. It sings. Worried creatures fret over seeds. Worried creatures buy accessories, the best of everything. Worried creatures stockpile bird seed and build fences around their favorite feeders. Worried creatures lose sight of the essence of things in exchange for concerns at the periphery. Researchers have found that listening to birdsong and being in nature can alleviate stress and fatigue and restore energy and attention, and these are all good things. While I have no doubt that Jesus would have known that it's good for us to be outside, to be in the world we were made to be in, there's more to it when he mentions birds. He wants more for us than a new hobby, or a leg up on our mental health, or a longer attention span, as good as all of these things are. He's not advocating a new form of therapy or way of getting by. He's encouraging a whole new way of seeing a whole new way of being in the world. 
Jesus mentions birds in the context of the one who created them and supports their life, providing everything they need for living. God, or as he calls him, your heavenly father. In that phrase, Jesus invites his listener to the best place to see things as they are, the best vantage point. He invites the listener, now bird watcher, to see the birds and themselves, not merely in relation to one another, but in relation to God, the creator of birds, the feeder of birds, the carer of birds. And he invites us to use a personal pronoun and call God our own, our Heavenly Father, our feeder, our carer, our creator. A few weeks ago, I was walking home from work. It was late afternoon, and I happened to look up as I walked past the church at the end of my street. And there he was, the kookaburra, perched on top of the bell coat, coolly eyeing the street below. I don't know if it was watching me, but I was certainly watching it. And I took great comfort knowing there's a God I can call my own, who cares for us both. Podcast.